Hello, everyone, and welcome back to The Pod and the Pendulum, the podcast that covers every horror movie franchise, one movie in one episode at a time. This week, returning for the middle chapter in the Urban Legend Saga with 2000's Final Cut. I'm your host, Mike Snoonian, and stepping into the co-host chair for the first time, let's welcome Lindsay Travis to the show. Lindsay, how are we doing? Hi, good. I'm so excited. <laughs> I am super excited to have you, um, fill, at least filling in for right now and um, stepping into the co-host chair. Um, when Jerry took his leave, like you honestly were the first and only person I reached out to, and I'm like, I am holding off. Um, and, you know, basically... What can we do to make you say yes? I felt like a little bit like a used car salesman, a little bit. No, like I'm so flattered so. by the whole idea. I was so excited. I had so much fun doing Alien and Prometheus that I was like, God, they're going to be like, we don't have time to have her on any more episodes because she won't stop talking about things for four hours. So no, they're my favorite. <laughs> I think 
amongst <laughs> the episodes we've done, they're two of my favorites. So, oh, well, that's exciting. I personally love doing super long podcasts. Like, I am someone that's like doesn't mind going like two hours, three hours plus. Like, if it's longer than the Irishman, then I think that's a really good thing. So, <laughs> that's the sweet spot, Irishman runtime. That's the sweet spot right there. Um, if it's like if Peter Jackson would say this is a little bit much, then yeah. You know, then we know we're doing something right at this point. So (laughs) welcome aboard. Thank you. Thank you. So we are going to, we started last week with uh, 1998's Urban Legend, and we're going to do something a little bit different this week. I usually don't do a synopsis, but we're going to do that uh, today, just because I think this is a movie that a lot of people either haven't seen or forget that has existed. Um, so you're going to get listeners like a three minute information dump right now. And if you don't want to hear the sound of my voice, I totally understand that. Um, feel free to skip ahead three minutes until we get to the next section right now. But here <laughs> you don't is like the sound of Mike's voice. You were in the wrong place. Probably, probably <laughs> that's, that's true. Mm-hmm. Um, I hate the sound of my voice. I think I sound like a Muppet that got rejected. So that's, <laughs> But yeah, you're a prolific podcaster. I'll save that for therapy. That's all right. (laughs) Save that for my eventual therapist. All right. A brief synopsis of Urban Legend Final Cut. The film kicks off with a group of rowdy teens raising hell on board an airplane in a sure sign this film was made before 9-11. Sandra and her boy toy uh, head to the first class bathroom in order to join the exclusive Mile High Club. Distracting herself from a partner's boisterous attempts at foreplay, Sandra notices the ominous phrase, you're going down, written on the bathroom mirror. And what's a delightful little gag. The pair rush out of the bathroom and discover everyone on board, including the pilots, have been butchered. Sandra tries to land the plane while fending off a knife-wielding killer when all of a sudden the action cuts. The whole scenario is part of a student film. Amy, the daughter of an Oscar-winning documentary filmmaker, has no idea what she'll turn in for her thesis film, an entry for her school's Hitchcock Award, the winner of which is near guaranteed a career in Hollywood. Is that how film school works? I don't think so. I discussed this with um, our good mutual friend, uh, Becky uh, Sayers yesterday, and Mm -hmm. we had a very good giggle at the is that what film school is like? And she's like, yep, exactly, in a very sarcastic way. So I would guess no. Yeah. Oh, boy. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> a chance encounter with security guard Reese from the first film gives her the idea to write and direct a slasher movie based on urban legends. Later on, star pupil Travis and his friend Lisa are out, out at a bar grabbing a drink to celebrate her upcoming big break acting gig. When Travis leaves, the drugged Lisa passes out only to wake up in a bathtub of ice with her kidney removed. After a frantic struggle with her kidnapper and a pissed off German shepherd, finds a woman, young woman being dragged back through a broken window by her incision. The killer slams the broken glass window through her head, decapitate, decapitating her before feeding her kidney to the dog. Amy yikes. passes. Yeah, yikes. That's, <laughs> that's the moment where my wife got up off the couch and said, I'm going to turn in tonight. You can yeah, like this enjoy this movie. It's not for me. It's not for me. 
Amy presses on with her student film with the help of director of photography, Toby, who comes recommended to her by her buddy and fellow filmmaker, Travis. Unfortunately, Dean Cundy himself couldn't help make Cassandra a passable actress or help her remember her car keys once everyone's gone home for the day. Sandra returns to the set only to find herself cornered by the killer. The next day, Amy and the rest of campus are shocked to discover Travis has killed himself after receiving a poor grade on his student film, thus lowering his chances to win the prestigious Hitchcock Award. Amy heads to the bell tower where his body was discovered, only to come face to face with Travis's shady twin brother, Trevor, a man with a checkered past who insists Travis didn't kill himself. Later, when Amy records audio for her film, the killer bashes Toby's skull in with her own camera, his own camera lens, using the cover of the actor's screams to mask Toby's cries for help. Amy picks his death rattle up on her mic, and after borrowing the surveillance footage from her do buddy Reese, she learns Toby was murdered. She's then chased by the killer across campus and through underground tunnels before escaping. She and Trevor launch a plan to capture the killer on her film set, which will take place inside an old mining carnival ride. This results in Amy's two special effects wizards, both of whom were completely unaware they were in any danger, getting slaughtered in Amy Chase once again. I feel this must be a, a homage to John Landis, like putting your people in harm's way with no warning whatsoever. That has <sighs> to be ouch. An homage or a slam. Ouch. She runs into the arms of Trevor, who she rightfully berates for leaving her. The two fall asleep in her bed after he promises to never leave her again. During the night, Amy has a sexy dream about Trevor that devolves into a horrible nightmare with some stabbing. She wakes up only to find that, you guessed it, Trevor has left again. Amy meets up with Vanessa in the bell tower. Vanessa claims Amy wrote her a note to meet her there and that Amy was in love with her. To quote one of the greatest military minds in history, Admiral Akbar, it's a trap. It's a deadly <laughs> one that leaves Vanessa swinging from the tower's bell and Amy running in terror again. Travis and Amy run into one another and discover every victim worked on Travis's student film. They decide to watch his movie for clues only to learn it's unwatchable dreck, just the pits. We're talking about a Mandy-esque level of incompetence going on here. It's so, bad it, it's so bad it makes host look like Rashomon. But wait, oh my oh god. Oh, you're going to find, Lindsay, I have some hot takes. Some hot No, no you're just throwing takes. out spicy hot takes casually mid-synopsis. I got a lot of feelings, yeah. but go on. There you go. Mm -hmm. You didn't know what you got yourself into. Mm. But wait, Amy finds a cut in the editing and decodes that Trevor's brilliant work has been swapped out for this turd burger. Proving once again that they're not detectives, they kidnap the wrong person and accuse him of killing everyone, then trying to pass off Trevor's work as his own. They're interrupted by Professor Solomon, who reveals himself to be the real killer. Why'd he do it? To frame Amy because her dad robbed him of his chance at Hollywood glory years ago, leaving him stuck teaching at a prestigious school where his tenureship meant a mid-six-figure salary, pension, and the adulation of a bunch of snot-nosed kids. What of a horrible life indeed. Hijinks ensue. The heroes save the day with the help of Joey Lawrence. Whoa. Amy makes her student film and Professor Solomon winds up in a home for the criminally insane where he's treated by nurse Brenda, Rebecca Gayhart, making a short cameo appearance at the end of the film and proving once again that she is delightful. <laughs> end scene. 
That final moment, I like shrieked. I hadn't seen the first one in so long, mm -hmm. but just like seeing her in her like nurse ratchet outfit. Well, not exactly, but looking like nurse ratchet. I was like, oh my God. Uh, it made me miss Rebecca Gayhart. And I really like <laughs> yeah. this movie. It made me miss because Rebecca Gayhart is just so delightful in urban legend. I would not have minded seeing her again in this movie. That's true. It's almost that thing where they say, um, you know, don't remind people that they're watching a worse movie. Mm -hmm. And maybe that's uh, what they did there. That it's like, oh, no, <laughs> I wish she was in this movie. But I don't feel that way. And then I think it, what's a really ballsy move, the end credits play out over the theme to Alfred Hitchcock presents. Yeah, it's I mean, I'm sure there are probably more Hitchcock references throughout than I picked up on. Um but obviously it's the Hitchcock Award, the Hitchcock Award, and then they like roll out over that song. And it's fun. It's just like, what a fun moment at the end of like a really fun slasher to have this like bizarre meta moment of this cameo from the actors from part one over Hitchcock. What a fun finale. It really is. It's a fun movie. I mean, it oh, yeah. really is a really fun movie. So my question for you, mm. Lindsay, is what was your experience with this movie? Like what was the first time you actually watched this? So more recently than I'd want to admit, and I, even within uh, the last 48 hours, um, I, think I, <laughs> I think I did see it before because it looked so familiar to me. I remember talking about, like I've always known that Jennifer Morrison was the protagonist in Urban Legends 2. So I definitely had seen it. I think it was one of those things that I was like a young teen and probably watched it at my friend's sleepover party where you're not really paying attention because you're playing games and eating snacks and hanging out with girl, you know, all your girlfriends and painting each other's nails. So I feel like I like saw it, but you know, maybe like through um, like osmosis or mitosis, <laughs> one of the two um, and didn't really pick up on a lot of it. So it did feel really new and fresh to me, but it also very familiar. So I did watch it again, I should say uh, a couple of days ago and I would, you know, in a much more focused way and like, what an absolute blast. I was like, this movie, whether it holds up or it's just great now, period. I was like, I really like this movie. <laughs> It's a lot of fun. It, this yeah. movie is really, from, and I could see this completely being the kind of like fair that you would watch at like a sleepover as a teenager. Like yeah. it's got an absolutely beautiful cast from start to finish in what was one of the real hallmarks of like movies of this time period. Well, really movies of any period usually don't get like <laughs> super ugly people in movies. Um, you know, like, John C. Riley is considered like not handsome in we think is, that's like Hollywood going ugly is John yeah. C. Riley and I would and then you, know, like, say, you see the guy walking around in a suit not in a movie and you're like oh he's very good looking he's a very good looking man <laughs> yeah. um, but it's like a beautiful cast it's got some really fun set pieces and I think to your point it's the kind of movie that you can throw on in the background and drop in and out of and not mm -hmm. feel like you've missed a hell of a lot Oh yeah. And like that was, it's funny because there are so many movies from that era that were movies that I genuinely loved, but then watching them later in life, I love them even more. Like the faculty was one, like that whole era where we watched the faculty, which was like, I didn't understand any meta jokes when I was 13 or 12 or however old I was, because I didn't know the movies that were being referenced. Mm -hmm. Right. Like I didn't get it. I hadn't seen invasion of the body snatchers by the time I was 12. So, um, 
yeah and so there's so many movies like that and I feel like this is one of them that I probably thought was like a really fun slasher and watching it now I'm like oh my gosh it's like a meta horror with references and all this really fun subtle stuff and yeah and it's kind of neat to be able to go back and rewatch movies in that way like once you have like a broader scope of like things that you've seen and you can pick up on all of those references you can you know, it's a movie that works on a couple different levels or when movies work on a couple different levels, it's a lot more fun. Like, first of all, you have to make a good movie that's like just watchable on its own. Like, I think a lot of times we see movies that have references for the sake of references. Uh, and like you just said, like, please don't remind me that I could be watching something better right now. But when you have something that's really entertaining and then there are all these references to what came before it, that can be a really fun thing. Yeah. Yeah, it was kind of a relief. Like I have in my handwritten notes, you could see I was on an Easter egg hunt, throwing random references. And funny, like without, I oh, I could be wrong about this, but yeah, I'm just reading some trivia, which may or may not be real, because we all know the IMDb trivia is not notoriously fact-checked. Um, but that opening sequence was supposed to be a boat. Um, and then they later, apparently, they location scout found an airplane, so they revised it. But apparently the original boat sequence was actually inspired by the airplane sequence in Twilight Zone from 1983. And that would make sense given that they um, reference like gremlins on the side of the plane, like during that scene. Yeah, yeah. Oh. So I'm like, oh, that's an interesting, and it kind of makes your John Landis point. It really is, yeah, really <laughs> is. Uh, and I will get in, maybe get into John Landis on a different show. Yeah. Um, Aside from being responsible for the death of three people in a easily preventable tragedy, um, mm -hmm. he's my favorite director. Well, I hate to say it, like his run, well, maybe not my favorite, he's in my top five. He's on the short list. The run he had from the mid 70s for the early 80s is just ridiculous. And I find myself apologizing for him a lot, a lot more than I should in good company, probably. I mean, it's complicated, yeah. we'll say. Yeah, we'll leave that for another we'll <laughs> Yeah, for we'll another save that for day. another time. So, all right. This was the first time watch. Like I I was yesterday days old when I saw this movie wow. for the first time from start to finish. I know. It's just one of those things that like number 1 until maybe a year ago, I wasn't even aware that it existed. Number two, that it got a theatrical release. And number three, it was like the number one movie at the box office when it came out. Like you could have hit me in the head with a shovel for all I knew about this movie. Like if I knew it existed, I had blinked it out of existence at that point. No idea. But that said, it was an absolute delight. Um, a really fun slasher movie from that kind of like latter period of horror um, where movies weren't afraid to be fun they weren't afraid to be campy they didn't take themselves too seriously their first job maybe wasn't to scare the audience but to kind of provide like a thrill park ride and i think that's what this movie really is it's a really fun thrill park ride did you find like watching it for the first time now would you have if it was new now is that something that would have like sat well with you or did you kind of feel like it was throwing you back to the year 2000 in a fun way I think it was throwing me back to the year 2000 in a really fun way because 
I've been watching like a lot of movies from this period lately. Like we just rewatched Scream again for my other show. We did the first Urban Legend last week. Um, and I'm just kind of on a kick for some really fun horror right now because, you know, the world is a hellacious pile of hot steaming garbage. <laughs> so I find more and more that I'm going back to like this period of uh, movies and having a really fun time with them. Like we just did uh, The House on Haunted Hill for our patrons. And nice. is that a great movie? Like, no, absolutely not. Is it the kind of movie I appreciate because like Jeffrey Rush basically took the ashes of Vincent Price and snorted them up his nose for two hours? Like, yes. And some nights you need a movie like that to have a good time and laugh with. And that's what this to me was. I completely agree with you. Like, again, I've been watching old slasher franchises for that exact reason. I think like, um, so even though it, I didn't end up loving it, but when I was reviewing Freaky, which I don't know when this comes out, but Freaky will be on VOD very soon. Mm -hmm. um, I had mixed feelings about it, but one thing that I said as I was like, as I was writing my review, and this is, I love heady, deep horror movies. I love using it as an exploration for, you know, grief and all these sorts of things without a doubt. But there was such a fun moment where I was like writing down the phrase Kandarian dagger-like device or something <laughs> like that. And I was like, oh, thank God. I was like, what a refreshing feeling from all the times that I've written like a heady exploration of grief through the lens of blah, blah, blah. And I just got to write the phrase like Kandarian dagger like weapon and was like, oh, what a good yes. time. <laughs> and like, and again, not that I'm lamenting those lovely horror movies because I don't mean that at all. But I was like, yeah, sometimes you just want some fun slasher trash. I don't want to face anything right now. I want to just like watch some garbage. No, I don't even want to say garbage. Like, I just want to watch some fun slasher. So, yes, it felt very much like that for yeah, me as well. Yeah, something kind of light, you know. Um, yeah. I mean, it's the year that we've gotten The Lodge this year. We've gotten Relic this year. Um, two fantastic films. Yeah. But, my God, like, by the end of those movies, you are just awash in a lot of sadness and misery at that yeah. point. Like, it's a you don't lot feel better again. after. I mean, maybe because it's, like, a good cathartic cleanse, but... Um, I mean, I'm sure you've talked about this so much in your other pod specifically, but like a lot of us go to horror for that, like, mm -hmm. you know, release. And sometimes I'm like, no, I just want to be scared for a couple yeah. hours. Like, I just want a demon. I want some jump scares. That's what I'm here for. Yep, <laughs> absolutely. And so. I think that this movie, this movie provides that in spades. Like it does that completely. I think it does it really well. Not only does it do it, but I think it does it really well. And I think mm -hmm. it it benefits from aside from the character of Reese, not having really anybody back from the first movie. For sure. Um, I was reading like in preparing for this episode, I was reading um, Brian Collins wrote an article specifically about this movie uh, in 2018 for oh. Earth movies death. And it was actually one of the few pieces of writing that I could find for this movie. Uh, and he gives like a really spirited defense of it. And in doing so, he compares it to the Scream franchise. Now, yeah. I love the Scream franchise. It is probably my second favorite series behind A Nightmare on Elm Street. Oh, it's no secret that I, I mean, I know that everyone in horror loves Scream. So it's not, it's weird because like in your like daytime life, it's a thing about you. But in mm -hmm. horror world, it's like, yeah, you and everyone else. But, um, I love the Scream franchise. Scream is 
securely in my top five movies of all time, which is a very, very tight list <laughs> and uh, top three of all time, probably. Um, yes. So go on. You are in good. No, company. no problem. <laughs> I can tell you someone who does not love the screen movies. And that is our other co-host, Jerry Smith. That hurts me. Oh, I, I think that came up and I was like, interesting. <laughs> he hates them. So <laughs> yeah. And crazy, I made him do yeah. those movies first. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it's one of those things where like what Brian was writing, which I, I, I love the fact that you have a series where you have three characters that have so- survived throughout it. And mm-hmm. I'm sorry for repeating myself listeners, but I really hope the cold open of screen five is Sydney, like tucking her kids into bed, grabbing a glass of wine, heading to her front porch with a book and just reading and watching the sunset. And then it just like smash cuts to scream five. And then she's, or scream, cause it's going to be just titled scream. Mm-hmm. And then she's not in the rest of the movie and it just focuses on, completely new characters like that to me would be the best start for me for a new screen movie um but he's like look at a certain point you realize that these characters are never going to get killed off and that makes it kind of uninteresting as a as a viewer because you know there are no real stakes there whereas with like these movies because the whole new cast you don't really know who's going to make it and who's going to survive and who's going to be left out i have different feelings from you with respect to Scream and the three quote survivors, mm-hmm. but I do agree, like without nitpicking that, you know, without picking apart Scream for an hour as we probably both could. Um, I I would say, I, yeah, I totally agree with respect to Urban Legend. I think it was smart. I think it's always, um, it's kind of brave, but it's also not because you don't have to continue stories. I think sometimes when we dive and it's certainly, uh, you know, a post 2010 trend is we love to do deep dives and prequels and spinoffs and sequels about every character where they probably would have done better if we were filling in the blanks ourselves. Um, Cause it's, I don't know, I've said this before. Like, I think, I think I actually probably talked about this with Prometheus that there are certain blanks that are written to be filled in by you. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's good writing. So yeah, it's always a risk, but to um, continue to use the same characters. But the other side of it is it's really uh, risky to use different ones. And we now have to learn to like people that we don't care about. Like, I already have my cast from part one that I really like. And who is this girl? And, you know, why should I care about her? So it's really bold and it's fun. The thread by bringing, um, what's her name, Reese? Um, Reese being a thread is great because it's always so fun to like do that, you know, the Leonardo DiCaprio point at the screen meme and be like, I know her. (laughs) Um, And it's, what a fun thread. What like a, God, what a cool thing to tell a brand new story in the same world. I mean, I just, I love that. I love that trend. I love anthologies because I think that they let us tell a contained story, but then give us more. So I think it does a really great job of that. It really does. It's because it's a fun and, well, I think we're going to get into the next section here a little mm-hmm. bit about the cast because they were probably, all, with a couple exceptions, all relative unknowns. And a lot of them have gone on to have some pretty diverse and gigantic careers, which when I think of like horror movies from the 80s in particular, mm-hmm. that's not something you saw a lot of. Like a lot of it is like, where are they now? And you had, and maybe because I'm not as familiar with like daytime soap operas, I know a lot of times they would have actors from like daytime soaps come in because they could knew how to work really fast and really quick and could kind of 
run with it. And they would go, you know, shoot these cheap little slasher movies and then go back and like probably star in like 1000 episodes of a daytime soap opera, um, which I have never, ever seen and have gone on to have like fame and fortune, but I'm just not familiar with them. But here is we'll get into shortly, like you have people that have had like some pretty massive and diverse careers. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of familiar faces that at the time probably were unfamiliar. I mean, Mm -hmm. Eva Mendes, I want to say this is before, oh gosh, I'll have to check, but I want to say this is before her appearance in the Fast franchise. Oh yeah, it is. Um, Yeah, I was going to say she looks younger, but I'm just mixing up. Um, Mm -hmm. And oh gosh, what's her name? The actress character. I mean, for her, for me, she's the girl from Legally Blonde and she always will be, but Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, She's done so much work. Yeah, that's true. I mean, Jennifer Morrison specifically. It's funny that you say soap operas because the whole twin storyline is like pure soap. It really is. It, um, I kept waiting it for it to be like, he's not a twin after all. I know. You I was know? like, how is this happening? And I love that they like change his hair just a little. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, Trevor and Travis is really funny to me also. So like my last name's Travis. And one of the things that will always happen I'm sure if you if you pulled a lot of women that you know is that people will go out of their way to unintentionally masculinize your name in professional settings without noticing it. So I get called mm-hmm. Travis on every professional document ever. Really? So they and just go I, by your last name. Yeah, I'm always just like, all right, I guess I'm Travis. Like it's just everyone always just assumes they see Lindsay Travis and they're like, certainly that's her first name. Um, and I sat beside a guy whose name is Travis and he always gets called Trevor. So it's which is just bizarre I'm like it's so weird that they get your they make my name yours and your name something else so we I sit beside you know we call ourselves Travis and Trevor so that was funny when I saw that I was like ah like me and Travis TNT and you need to start oh my god TNT and you have to start like a hard-boiled detective agency that doesn't play by the rules Trevor and Travis which is neither of our names (laughs) It would absolutely so I thought that work. that was funny that those are like very common mixed up names that they Make picked this for happen. I want to hear twins. your divergent cut on screen though. I want to hear this. What like versus the three characters living you mean? Yeah, I am, gl- I am all for one glad that all three make it through. Yeah. Oh yeah. I think that I do love that. I don't think that they had to. I think it wasn't until screen three that they had to. Um, and then by that point they were committed for screen four. Like I think... <laughs> People were really jarred by Randy dying in Scream 2, um, which I was like, good riddance to that character. (laughs) I hate Randy Meeks. Um, But I don't hate Randy Meeks because I like hate that he was created. I think that I'm supposed to hate him. Really? Um, Yeah, my like take on Randy, which (laughs) again, follow me on Twitter. You'll see it um, probably more than you want. Um, But my take on Randy is like Randy to me is like Fight Club. It's like he, you were not supposed to like him, but everyone watched it and was like, Tyler Durden's awesome. And it's like, no, Tyler Durden's making fun of you. And that's how I feel about Randy is that Randy is making fun of film like nerds. Um, but everybody was like, he's our film hero. And I was like, no, he sucks. <laughs> and Interesting. Yeah, that's my take on Randy. And so I think that like when Randy died, I like have always just assumed that that was Williamson being like see he sucks guys and I had to kill him so you would notice um maybe that's maybe I read that into it I I um, always like read because I I, there's definitely been I think there are more and more people in your camp in 2020 mm -hmm. 
Um, totally. I've noticed people actually being like, oh yeah, to me a lot more than, not that I like actually say this as often as I said that, but. Um, Do you have a t-shirt? Yeah. Oh, I listen. Randy as soon Meeks as I can convince Supriyaki to partner with me, there will be Randy Meeks sucks t-shirts, but um, <laughs> um, yeah, Randy. But anyway, all of that to say, um, Randy was part of that original core. And when Randy died, I felt like that really showed you the stakes of the movie I think it wasn't really until through screen three and then when you're bringing them back for screen four you have to really make the decision because it's like these are your thread characters at this point like screen four was not a reboot but it was kind of a meta reboot in a weird way like they were making reboot jokes and at that point you're committed that these are your original characters so I don't think that killing them for screen five would be a good choice um that whole thing about like kill them in the beginning I think it's an awful choice I, I don't think that anyone like I don't I don't suspect that that's what will happen um because yeah they've become our threads yeah but screen four doesn't get the credit it deserves for actually create I, I mean I shouldn't say it doesn't get a lot of credit so obviously it does but it created new stakes. Like I know I've seen the take a lot that people have like what you said that, you know, the stakes are low, the main characters can't die. And I'm like, people are still mourning Kirby. Still, mm -hmm. like people loved Kirby. You brought, and so what Scream 4 did is it brought us characters that we, I personally didn't care about them as much as the original three movies characters because those were my movies, but they created new characters that we cared about almost as much as the originals. And we got that and we got to watch characters like Sid and, um, you know, we got to watch those characters be almost these like parental mentorship figures to these new, this new crop. And then when we lost them, it really hurt. Like the whole internet is like justice for Kirby every day. So I do think that they can create stakes um, without killing those characters. Didn't Wes Craven actually say like, even though Kirby is stabbed and presumed dead, you don't alive. see her dead that she might be alive because he maybe had plans to bring her back, which I really hope. And I, I think Kirby is like Randy Meeks done to perfection. Um, yeah. I get but, what you're saying, you know, and I think I think part she's of like it the, the anti-Meeks. Mm -hmm. I always thought like Kirby and Randy would hate each other. Probably. And like, that's, that's kind of my thing. I think that's why, um, oh gosh, this is a scream episode. I'm sorry, I can't help it. It's, you know what? <laughs> I am totally okay because I think these. I I think I that it's relevant, and I will never it's, not talk scream. It's relevant so. to everything, but I think um, Kirby and um, Randy would dislike each other. I think there's a reason why so many people loved Kirby, um, and maybe it's some of the same, and maybe it's some of the different people. I think um, Randy always felt, and I think there's probably specifically a lot of not men who dislike Randy because Randy is the guy who, when you said you liked scary movies, Randy would explain scary movies to you because he knew them better, mm -hmm. which I think is like part of why, um, you know, a lot of people are like, ugh, this dude. And <laughs> I, I think can see that. That's I can my see read that. on him. Like I could see like, that's, I look at him and I'm like, this is the guy who would like, I would tell him that I write about movies and he'd be like, you should follow my letterbox. Cause I know movies really. And I'd yeah. be like, fuck off dude. Um, but anyway, that's, I think you ran it. So as where Kirby is never, um, she never explains scary movies to anyone. She just wants to talk about them with people. And I feel like she's the anti Randy because she would be like, Oh my God, you like scary movies too. I love Halloween. And he'd be like, here's the thing about Halloween. And she'd be like this fucking guy. See, I think by part two, he was growing away from that a little bit. Sure. I think true, you see true. that in like the film mm, class. No, I disagree. I changed my okay. mind completely. I agree with you and I don't agree at all. 
Okay. I, I think he was growing away from that a little bit and he just needed some time. But I see like in 2020, two of my beloved characters I see slandered a lot are Randy Meeks and Xander mm-hmm. Harris from Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Um, because I can't, okay. I don't know. You're like, I can't do this show anymore. No, no, so. I don't know Buffy that well. I can't okay. engage is what I was going to say. That's okay. But a lot of people hate Xander, but will say that like she should have ended up with like a 200-year-old vampire that chased with this four 16-year-old girl. And that's not hmm. that's not creepy whatsoever. Yeah, so um, those are my sacred cows. But I think where the discussion is really relevant is I think what Scream did that a lot of movies from this era do is you don't really have a final girl anymore. You have a final group. And huh, I, yeah. I love that about these movies. Because when you go back and watch the slasher movies of the 1980s, think about Nancy Thompson's fate at the end of A Nightmare on Elm Street. Her mother is dead. Her mm-hmm. boyfriend is dead. Her mm-hmm. best friend is dead. Her peripheral friend is dead. Alice in part four. Her brother is dead. Her mom is still dead, not by Freddy, but still dead. Mm-hmm. All of her best friends have been killed and she has to live with this on her own. Um, Sally at the end of Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yes, she survives. And in the background, listeners, you can hear my rabbit right now who's running around the back of my room who's adorable. Um, Sally at the end of Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Sure, she survives. What the hell is left, left of Sally? At this yeah. point, there's no coming back from that. Um, it's like when you see Laurie Strode in Halloween, both H2O and really in Halloween 2018, like she's mm-hmm. broken. She's yeah. completely broken because she's alone. Um, so I kind of like that. the, And I think part of it is like the era that these movies are in. Like, look, the late 90s are not a terrible time period to be alive. Like it was the era of like, eh, things aren't so bad. Mm-hmm. Um, so you have like, and scream your core three characters that survive throughout the movies. Urban Legend, you have point. like Alicia Witt and Jared Leto's character that live. Um, I still know what you did last summer. You have two characters that live. Like more and more of these movies, you have a larger group of like in this one, you have like four people. You have Reese, you have uh, Amy, you have Trevor. Yeah. Yes, Trevor. Trevor. Okay, Travis was the filmmaker. Yeah. And then you have Joey Lawrence. So you have like four people that like live at the end of this what movie. A great observation. I like didn't think of that at all, but you're so right. What a fun way to like adapt. Like we've talked about the evolution of the final girl, but I never really thought about like, even mm-hmm. though Amy is the quote final girl in the movie, without a doubt, it's true that you've got a final group. What a yeah. great point. And I like that. I think that there's like an article somewhere about, is it really worth surviving the end of a horror movie? Um, like that tagline like who will survive and what will be left of them I think is for Texas Chainsaw it fits it really does so um, somebody write it because I'm super fucking busy right so um, (laughs) I don't have time but I want to read it (laughs) okay Um, all right so a little bit about the background of this movie I don't have a lot um, as much as we usual we usually do but the big takeaway for me Again, we talk about some of the talent that worked on it, but like John Ottman, who directed this movie, um, 20 or 19 years later, wins an Oscar for editing Bohemian Rhapsody. And no! Yes. That's the same guy? Yes. 
I know. Isn't that amazing? What? This is Brian Singer's right hand, disgraced Hollywood filmmaker, Brian Singer, right hand man. Um, <gasps> and Ottman has been with this guy since the beginning. Like he edits his work on um, Apt Pupil, on oh, Usual Suspects, the X Men trilogy, um, Superman, Man of Steel. Um, and he sticks. What's weird to me. Well, given the troubled history of Bohemian Rhapsody and how Singer essentially like admits admits all this controversy, where a lot of these allegations that seem to have been whispered for years, like mm. they weren't secret, they were screamed for years. But okay. anyway, yeah. but it seemed like when he was making Bohemian Rhapsody, that's when it rose to a crescendo. Like that's yeah. when it really is like, guys, what is this person doing working on a prestige film in, in I don't 2018? Even, yeah, I mean, I have a whole other, again, this is a whole other conversation, but it's weird because I remember like years ago and it was I was already late to the quote party. It was years ago, um, at least five. And I was reading this like deep dive article on all of these allegations mm -hmm. and all these lawsuits. And it's, I don't wanna say funny, but like, it's funny. Um, that yeah, it did come to a quote crescendo for um, Bohemian Rhapsody, but like not even, I don't think if he wasn't, I think if he wasn't a brat on the set as alleged, mm -hmm. um, nothing would have happened. And I do even feel like, yeah, we finally were like, yeah, Brian Singer sucks, but he really never got his, he never got his. <laughs> I still don't feel yeah. like if you, if you asked, you know, anyone on the street about Harvey Weinstein, everyone knows what Harley, Harvey Weinstein was accused of. I genuinely don't believe if you ask, you know, all of our parents about Brian Singer, they would have any idea. They would have no clue. I would agree yeah. with that. I think that you're spot on. Like, I don't even think they would be able to name Brian Singer. Yeah. To be quite honest, he seems, I mean, like, and that's a weird thing to say because of like the amount of projects he's worked on and he's like mm -hmm. a real A-list director. Um but I don't wow. think he's like a household name, like say a Scorsese or a Tarantino or right. um, you know, a P.T. Anderson would be, I think our parents would be like, I have no idea. Oh, I've seen his movies. I like them, but they would have no idea who actually directed them. And I think that's kind of like partially because like, I don't know if Brian Singer really has any sort of signature at all. Like there's nothing yeah. that really says like, oh, you know, like you can tell a Scorsese movie when you're watching a Scorsese sure. movie. You can tell a Fincher movie when you're watching a Fincher movie. There's nothing about Brian Singer that says like, oh, he's a real auteur. Yeah, I think like certainly everyone knows the usual suspects and that's probably what I would use. If anyone was like, who? I'd be like, oh, the guy who directed uh, Usual Suspects, mm -hmm. Usual Suspects. But yeah, in any event with Bohemian Rhapsody, that's wow, gosh, I did not do the math that mm -hmm. it was the editor. <laughs> Does that, oh, yeah, it's one of those things where like he really didn't direct a lot after this. And I don't think he directed anything after this. Right. I think he did two movies in his whole career. But he's just stuck to editing and film composition. And he's won a ton of awards and a lot of acclaim for it. And from the sound of it, because of the troubled history of Bohemian Rhapsody, it sounds like he, for all intents and purposes, like produced and directed that movie as well like once singer walked off like he's the mm. one that really kind of brought it home at that point uh and then he won the oscar for editing it i remember you know there was a lot of real trepidation around the oscars that year like oh my god like is brian singer going to win an oscar for best director 
for this because he was nominated for it. A, after like they were trying to really get him removed from the picture because of his mm-hmm. behavior. But B, like, do we really want to give this like, you know, after pedophile. all the, you know, <laughs> after all the whatever color ribbons everyone wore when they did nothing, mm-hmm. um, you know, under <laughs> that. But it was yeah. like the kind of movie that like the typical your academy like eats up with a with it eats it up like absolutely yeah. like we definitely would reward we but they all would wore times up pins so they did. therefore therefore <laughs> oh boy yeah. um yeah gosh i didn't do that math at all it's funny i actually haven't seen bohemian rhapsody so i won't um me neither and i love queen yeah. but i'm not gonna watch that movie yeah i'm not gonna watch it I, yeah i also love queen um but i'm just gonna like listen to queen music instead yeah um, absolutely yeah but um <laughs> i did uh, on great british bake-off the oh. episode we just watched someone made a cake that looked like was supposed to look like freddie mercury <gasps> um it looked kind of squashed and my wife thought it looked more like hitler oh, than freddie Lord. mercury which I well, disagreed with because it had a full mustache. So, well, that's the, yeah, <laughs> that's the costume distinctions. So, um, listeners, watch Great British Bake Off instead of Bohemian Rhapsody. Instead of Bohemian Rhapsody. I never saw it, but a friend of mine who um, knows film very well and is also very, very funny, um, when it was nominated, was just like posting clips of the movie on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Um, and certainly he was cherry picking the worst edited moments, obviously, for his bit. But, like, it did not look edited well and mm-hmm. so I was like howling laughing like what a disaster and this was after the nominations and he was posting these clips and I was just crying and I even like like I saw him shortly after and I was like okay or I guess I was talking to him shortly after and I was like oh like you edited those and he was like I thought that he was like doing a joke where he was like editing them poorly as like a twitter bit on purpose and he was like no those are just clips from the movie and I was like no way so um yeah, I was very surprised too. But gosh, I did not do that math. But uh, yeah, so I had a very good laugh when I uh, when they won. I was like, okay. You're kidding me. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Sure. Yeah. All right. Whatever. I wonder if because of Ottman's other work, if it was like, you know, Scorsese wins the Oscar for The Departed, which mm. is clearly not his best. It's entertaining, but it's clearly not his best film. Uh, oh, gosh. You yeah. Know? Okay. If we're gonna talk about Scorsese, I mean, you think I can talk about Scream a lot? You are, <laughs> you are wrong. I can talk about Scorsese more than anyone. Um, All right. Petition to start a Martin Scorsese <laughs> fan <laughs> podcast. All right. Because uh, not pictured in this moment, but in my usual uh, office, I've got very cool Scorsese film paintings all over one of my. Oh, walls. beautiful! Be- yeah, Do cool. you have the one from Goodfellas with like the? Two dogs looking in different directions. Oh my god! The, I wish the, the guy's like, moment... "Hey, what am I going to do about it?" I love. I still need to watch The Irishman. I still haven't um, sat down to watch all three and a half hours of it. I did it. I feel like it was like around. When did it come out? Like holidays last year, right? Yep. Yeah, like yeah, right around like, this time, I think. Yeah. So I think I watched it on that like period, that weird time at like work where you're kind of like between Christmas and New Year's and Mm -hmm. it's like those weird I think I don't really remember to be honest but it was something like that I remember being snowy and I was at home alone and made myself a big like mocha Mm -hmm. and was like let's do this um and like saved an entire afternoon for the ordeal um and I know a lot of people who watch it in parts um but I can't do that I'm not like I just my brain can't do that like Mm -hmm. I just want to watch the whole thing I can't watch things in parts 
Um, and it's long. Um, yeah, again, <laughs> with all the tangents that I will take us on. But The Departed, remember earlier when I said Scream was securely my top five, probably my mm-hmm. top three, um, but definitely in my top five. Two You're of the other. The Departed is, is one of them. Aren't the you? Departed and Goodfellas are two of my favorite movies. Wow, of all, time. The, of all his films. And Departed's great, don't get me wrong, but Goodfellas, yeah. yeah. Goodfellas, Goodfellas inches so out The Departed for, for me. Um, like nothing's, I don't see, like Terminator 2 was my favorite movie. Mm-hmm. And then like there's like a tie of like everyone else in the top five. Um, and uh, yeah, Goodfellas is like, the Goodfellas is the top of my second favorite movies to teach you. Like I love Goodfellas. I could watch it once a week and never be bored. I love that movie. It is my day after Thanksgiving watch every year. <sighs> I watch I Goodfellas. That. Like that's my, and this year I started early. I watched it, um, started at like 10 PM Thanksgiving night. I figured, oh. well, it's going to end the next day. So it counts. It's um, perfect. Fun oh, fact, the, my co-host on psychoanalysis, Jen Ferratu, her favorite movie Terminator 2. <gasps> oh my gosh, I have to talk to her about that. You absolutely do. You know what? I We're going to have to have you on for a comfort horror episode. We're going to have to have you on to talk Terminator 2. Like, yeah, just booked it. Absolutely. So. Oh my gosh, I'm ecstatic. Oh, I have to talk to her about that immediately. Um, yeah, that movie was like my all time. Mm-hmm. But then it's like, there's like Alien, Goodfellas, The Departed, and Scream are like just jammed right under that oh, block. That's- that is, you know, you cannot argue with that block. You absolutely cannot. That's a solid block. It's a solid tight block. True Lies might be in there too, but. Mm-hmm. I don't think I've ever watched True Lies. Gasp. My I'm goodness. A, yeah, I know. I'm not a James Cameron guy. I just don't. I just, I know. I know. You can hang up now. Show's no, over. That's a, listen, we all have our opinions. That's why people mm-hmm. are here. You know, they came mm-hmm. for Urban Legend Final Cut and they're going to get all of our spicy hot takes on all of the movies ever that's okay that's what that's we do why here. here if they wanted to hear someone else talk about it they would we are a conversation among friends and our this listeners is what i'm saying that, so. and we can agree that goodfellas is one of the greatest movies of all time it really is oh my god that, i think that might be a patreon episode at some point we do a non-horror episode and just deep okay. dive into goodfellas it might be like honestly six hours long but you know what <laughs> who cares i oh my gosh yeah i of all the things that like you know those things that people are like what's that thing that you know more than anyone else mm-hmm. and it's always you're expecting someone to say horror because they're a horror writer or like you know you're always like kind of think you know but like that thing for me is like organized crime history like that's the thing I know more about oh I love it okay anything and so um I think that's also a huge part of why I love Scorsese movies or maybe it's the other way around but um because it's so tied to historical gangsters and i just have like the best time yeah with it and so yeah if you want to hear me yell what about you Hill for two hours really briefly what mm-hmm. do you think it seems like there's been a crop of criticism in the past five years mm. that's re-examined casino and has okay. started to say well actually maybe it's not so much a goodfellas knockoff but maybe it's actually better than goodfellas so I know some people think it's better than Goodfellas. I think they're really different. I think the whole criticism that Scorsese makes the same movie over and over is really shallow and silly mm-hmm. just because he tends to focus on crime. I don't really think um, that makes a lot of sense. Um, I think if anything, Wolf of Wall Street is the most similar to Goodfellas. Mm. Um, it has a lot of the same. I do think Wolf of Wall Street is a lot more tongue in cheek and a lot. I think they're very, very different movies. Um, you know, the like, but they've got a few more of the signatures is where Casino, I don't feel like is filled up with a lot of the Goodfellas signatures. So I just really don't feel that way. 
Um, I think they're really, really different. I personally like Goodfellas a lot more than I like Casino. And it's not because I think it's better. I think they're just different. And the things in Goodfellas are things that I like. I think Casino is brighter. It has like a lot more um, short, bright scenes, which just appeals to me personally less on a rewatch. Mm-hmm. Um, but they are similar. I mean, you're talking about complicated marriages, people fearing for their lives all the time. Um, you know, p- the king in fear for his life, uh, I think is a really common organized crime drama topic. And it's definitely something that Scorsese explores a lot. So I think that's what makes it feel similar, but I don't know. I think they're such different movies. Like mm-hmm. it's, it's, it shouldn't make sense that I love Goodfellas, like love Goodfellas and I like Casino. Um, and I think that that should just like go to show that like they're just really different. And I think that they're personal. A lot of people love Casino and like Goodfellas. So mm. I don't know. I think, I think they're really different, but I When you mentioned the wolf on Wall Street, like talk yeah. about a character that a lot of people misunderstand. Like Scorsese couldn't be any clearer. Like you aren't supposed to root for this guy. Like yeah. you are supposed to hate him. And a lot of people don't get like, I remember the criticism at the time of that movie being like, he's glorifying really bad behavior. Like, yeah, that's no, you've really missed. He's really I don't know not. how you watch that and, and get that takeaway, but here we are. And it's All the right. same with Goodfellas. But anyway, yeah, that's a whole, Sorry. you know what? Subscribe to our Patreon yes. and we will do an episode where we pick apart Scorsese. <laughs> Absolutely. We will do that. Guaranteed. So- so the rest of this cast, we talked a little yes. bit about Matthew Davis, yes. uh, who plays Trevor slash Travis, yes. featured in Legally Blonde. Also from Legally Blonde. Yes, but a lot of TV work. Like he mm-hmm. probably best known, like he plays Alric in the Vampire Diary show. And now there's a new mm-hmm. spinoff, which that show's not for me. But you know what? Dude's made 150 episodes as his character. Like the so dude works, you, you know? Um Jennifer Morrison, who we mentioned, like House MD and Once Upon a Time uh, are what she's best known for. I know her as Zoe, uh, Ted Hornby's best love interest in How I Met Your Mother. Mm. And really who he should have ended up with at the end of that show. All right. So any hot takes on Jennifer Morrison? Not a ton. She she will always be, um, oh gosh, what's her name in House? Um, Doctor. Oh my God. You always be in that show. Yeah. Uh, hold on. We're going to IMDb as we speak here. Dr. Oh Allison Cameron. Yes. I was literally thinking Cameron. And then I was like, no, that can't be your name. Um, mm-hmm. like the last name. Um, yeah, she'll always be Cameron to me. Um, I was very, very, very into the first uh, few seasons of House. Um, mm-hmm. So that's definitely who I see her as. And she's been in other things. I didn't watch what's it called? Once Upon a Time. That was called. I yep. didn't watch that show, but I've seen her other things. But yeah, that's always what I associate her with. And I like her so much. I really liked Cameron. I really loved those first few seasons of House. And that's who she is to me. So it was really fun seeing her. Um, she's got very sharp features. And it was fun seeing her young because her cheeks are a little more like plump, like the youthful, like plump in her cheeks. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh my gosh, she because she's got like, I'm like really picking apart her face here, but she's got a very um, cute, tiny button nose with her like sharp features, which I think is really like what's strike a part of what makes her very striking. And so seeing her with like a kind of plump youthful cheeks with her button nose, I was like, what an adorable gal. (laughs) She looks a lot like Julia Stiles to me. She does look, yeah, they have very similar looks. I I would agree. A few times I definitely were like, 
had to like remind myself that that wasn't her in this movie. Yeah, um, that's true. She does. Uh, they do have very similar yeah. looks. And I, I'm not, I really love that show, How I Met Your Mother. I really thought it was like a really fun sitcom. Uh, I think I've seen every episode of that one like multiple times. I thought she was really good in the um, like 13 or so episodes that she was on for that. I didn't get into that show, but I do know that it's very beloved. Yeah. Um, um, except for the ending. People hate the ending. Um, yeah. So, I mean, people hate the ending of everything. Pretty much, pretty much. So oh. Anthony Anderson, who his who played one of the special effects mavens, he's gone on. Like I first remember him from. Like, I think I'd seen him here or there, like me, myself, and Irene, mm. obviously. Um, but I remember him from like season four of The Shield, where he plays kind of a mob boss. Yeah, uh, really good in that in that series. Um, was on Law and Order for a few seasons. Um, was in Scream 4 is one of the cops yeah. um, who gets like a great fucking death in that movie. Great kill. That scene is so scary. It's, yeah, it's perfect. And then mm-hmm. uh, probably known now for that um, sitcom Blackish. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which is on. So again, another guy with like a really prolific, pro- prolific career. Yeah. Um, Eva Mendez, you mentioned like she was the Fast and Furious movies. She was the love interest in Hitch. Um Hitch. And then I made a note, like Michael Bacall, who plays the other special effects dude, he mm-hmm. went on to be the screenwriter for Scott Pilgrim versus the World and 22 Jump Street. Would, would you look at that? Well, I mean, what do you this know? movie has spawned, like, <laughs> and then you have like Joey Lawrence playing Joey Lawrence, know, who's always adorable. Would you say that Joey Lawrence... Um, like at the time was probably the most famous cast member oh absolutely isn't that like yeah. wild to consider and it would have been like i would call this ironic casting mm-hmm. um you know he's not someone like you, you no one has ever said like get me joey lawrence i need like a massive dramatic turn um but it's one of those dude who has always worked he's in a movie about roe versus wade that can't be good it's in post production. That. That's a nightmare. That can't be. That's going to be. That's not going to be good. Not what anyone's asking for. I think. Oh, is boy. that? Is this sounds like it might be his like Kirk Cameron. Oh Cameron. God. Oh boy. Oh Joey. Oh no, I'm scared. I don't want to look this up. Joey right. Lawrence. Oh, I don't want to look this up. Um. I, yeah. Joey Lawrence. Yeah. I mean, he probably been the most famous at the time. Obviously, Blossom. Like you even threw mm-hmm. your woe into your synopsis because mm-hmm. that was his thing. I had like a woe bookmark that I bought from the Scholastic Book Fair <laughs> with him on it. Um, and I even, yeah, I, listen, I watched some trash TV during the day sometimes, um, all not did. during the day, like when, but, we um, all did. and one of those things that I used to watch a lot of was like CSI New York. And he has a little arc on that show that is bizarre. Mm-hmm. And, uh, he plays, <laughs> um, he plays a very scary, like slasher killer, which is pretty mm. cool. Um, I mean, spoiler alert, but you find it out and he has like a returning arc. So he like kills a bunch of women in very fucked up, scary ways. And uh, he gets out of jail and then someone starts killing women the same way. And they're like, anyway, it's very, very cool. <laughs> a very scary arc. That is kind of fun. Joey Lawrence. And then you're saying that Roe v. Wade thing and it's making me nervous and I should I tread lightly, but I w- watched a few episodes. I don't, it must've been on at like Sunday at noon. Like while I was like having coffee in my kitchen, something like that in my kitchen, in my living room, something like that. Um, where, uh, so there's the show, Melissa and Joey, mm-hmm. which is like Melissa Joan Hart and Joey Lawrence. 
and they like live together. Four episodes. Yeah, it's you know it's not great, um, but it's like just some fine garbage to watch. Like it's very family channel-y. And what's funny is that um, Melissa Joan Hart is like you know she's like a gal and she's successful and whatever, mm-hmm. but it's still played very like conservatively, um, not necessarily politically, but. Um, culturally anyway so i'm like like oh no cultural sitcom tropes basically it's just one of those things where like you know what i mean it's still very old-fashioned let's say in 2020 is what Mm -hmm. i'll say about it and so there's always episodes where i'm watching i'm like oh god please tell me like melissa and joey are just like this is their like conservative propo where they're like it's family values and you're like oh no it is so now that i'm like oh god you're talking about this joey lawrence thing i'm like going places in my head where i'm like oh no joey who is, who is directing who is directing this nervous happy allen and nick Loeb, neither of who i have ever heard of before oh, um oh god one. oh god starring john voigt okay that oh can't be good. no joey lawrence and... see i was suspicious from melissa and joey that mm-hmm. we might get there and you know, like when melissa john hart said something about like not liking the new sabrina for being too satanic or some garbage like it, I, mm-hmm. I, i'm saying it wasn't it was much more benign than that mm-hmm. so i've always been like a little nervous and there you go That's... and here's another also starring jamie kennedy oh what randy meeks himself yes oh god randy oh god i'm scared i don't want to know but switching i i would be remiss if we didn't uh while talking about the cast we got to talk about loretta divine okay let's do that um also did i mean she's in crush but i remember her from boston public growing Mm -hmm. up um and what i really like about her specifically i remember her from boston public i don't remember her character i don't remember anything about the show and she's obviously done much more famous things than that like she did Grey's anatomy she did you know uh, I don't know, all kinds of uh, bigger projects, but I always just remember thinking she was very warm. Um, something about her, I just think is like, so like warm and inviting. So seeing her show up um, back as the security guard is, it's just like, oh good, my friend is here. <laughs> like she's going to protect us all. And she's kind of played as this like incompetent security guard who like has a gun and maybe shouldn't. Um, but then you're still like, oh gosh, if she sees it, she's going to, she's going to save everyone. And um, she is like the only one that believes Amy mm-hmm. from the get go, but she's also like, I mean, she's the one that brings the audience up to speed. She does a short like recap of the first movie when she meets Amy and she's like smart enough to know, like no one's going to believe her and no one's going to, everyone's going to want to sweep it under the rug. Um, but she, yeah. But she I... stays on the case. She stays on it. And like, even when she's not really believing it, she stays on it. I think like, it's interesting that you say that about the believing her thing. One of the moments that I had while watching it, and I don't know if it was intentionally in the film or not. um, The moment of Amy speaking to the detective who's a woman Mm -hmm. and a woman of color, um, specifically a black woman believing her. um, I felt a lot in that moment because Again, I don't know if this is intentional. Obviously, this is a tale as old as time, but it certainly um, was much more in the media around like 2015, but all of the things like campus sexual assault cover-ups mm-hmm. and when it was serial, um, you know, that a lot of campuses really buried it or, you know, not being believed in whatever. And it's that moment that um, Amy is suspicious of something and she gets to tell this other woman um, casually and they have like a frank discussion where she actually believes her 
like I had a moment of like, wow, what an experience to be Mm -hmm. able to speak to this woman who believes her. And not only that, it was a woman saying another university did this before and they covered it up. And I like it. Yeah, it definitely made me feel in that moment of like, yeah, this woman lost her job at a school because she wouldn't go along with this cover up. And now another woman is telling her that she's suspicious of it happening again. And she believes her. And I was like, what a like intentional or not. It was just like, wow. Okay. And I think what's interesting there is she not only believes her, but she also lays out like, I remember the scene where they're looking at the carnage that's left behind, say in the recording studio. She's like, Mm -hmm. look, what's going to happen is you're going to go to the police with the story. And you don't have the tape. So they're going to say, oh, it was vandals. Mm-hmm. And there's no evidence here. So, you know, and, and Amy listens to her. Like you see when she confronts the other two detectives later on, they're like, well, what else do you have to say? And you can tell they don't have any interest in really taking her story down. Um, she's like, I have nothing to add because she knows they're not going to believe her. So mm-hmm. I really do like that. And I do like how Reese is... She stays on the case, but you can also tell that she's a bit wary after her experiences in the yes. first movie. I think that you, sh- you know, for as you know, fun and as like light as a little movie this is, like it does show some real thought went into uh, some of the character growth. You know, yeah. how this person really act. So yeah, and Reese specifically, like I've thought, I've there are two things that I also um, kind of jotted down in the moment. One thing that I always think about is like the terror of women not being believed. And again, we talked about Terminator too. And like, there's nothing scarier in those movies. And when Sarah Connor is telling her crazy story and everyone's like, ha 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 and gather around Mm -hmm. her. And that's to me, like a big horror show that you see a lot. And the other piece of that is I hate flimsy. We can't go to the cops things. Mm -hmm. And it's just like a classic horror trope and it's totally fine. And I'm willing to brush it off immediately after it happens, but it's always like, we can't go to the cops cops because like even Trevor when he's like we can't go to the cops because I had problems with the law mm-hmm. it's like that makes literally no sense it Trevor. <laughs> but... and then Amy's reaction is really well cop in my bed please you know yeah like it makes... so Amy loves <laughs> her a bad boy <laughs> zero sense but um it's such a flimsy thing that happens mm-hmm. in every movie but um even but yeah just hearing Reese kind of be like they're not going to believe you it did 10 times the work as Trevor saying, I had some problem with the law as a kid, like Reese saying they're not going to believe you just did so much more work than that moment. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, that's all you needed. Like that was what we should have done. Um, And it was, yeah. It works. It definitely works. And she also, last thing on, uh, excuse me, last thing on Loretta Devine, Mm -hmm. voice of Hallie McStuffins for 92 episodes of Doc McStuffins. Look at that. A far more delightful show than <laughs> Joey and Melissa from the sound <laughs> of it. Melissa and Joey from Listen, the sound of it. If you want some, it's the guy from Melissa and Joey, the son has like gone on. Anyway, I'm not about to make this Melissa and Joey, but um, the actor, oh goodness, you're all going to be like, oh, Lindsay, you should have known that off the top of your head. Um, I, I was this many minutes on when I knew that show was an actual thing. So oh, it's, yeah, it's like not a good show that anyone should know about. It's just like one of those things that sometimes on and I just really like Melissa Joan Hart. Um, Nick Robinson plays the kid mm-hmm. um, who you know from like Jurassic Park and uh, oh, he's in Broadway Empire. I didn't know that. Um, anyway, Whatever, I feel like people are right. like, oh, yes, this kid. But uh, yeah. Last last note here on the cast. Uh, Hart Bachner, or, or sorry, Hart Bachner, who 
I'm looking at him like, well, he looks like David Duchovny. He's not David Duchovny. Who he is, though, is everyone's favorite coke-snorting scumbag from Die Hard, Elias. Which, Wait. That's him. I had that same reaction. Wait. I'm having an absurd moment right now that I cannot Oh, welcome on. to the show. Wait, I need to yeah. tell you why I'm having such an absurd mm-hmm. moment. I was talking about, and it's so, oh my God. It's so weird that when you, when I was looking at it, I was like, Hark Faulkner, why does that name sound so familiar to me? I was just the other day talking about Batman Mask of the Phantasm. Yes, one of the best Batman movies. Yeah, yeah. And um, he uh, voices um, a character in that. Mm -hmm. uh, And I was like throwing around diehard jokes. As a result, so Hart Faulkner literally was just on my mind days wow. ago because of Phantasm and Die Hard. And I don't know how literally probably within 24 hours I had that discussion and watched this movie that I did not recognize. <laughs> he's unrecognizable. Like he is, That's I mean, insane. to me, like you could have told me that he's David Duchovny's stunt double, to well, be quite oh honest, when God. you see him in this. Um, I'm having like such a moment because of course, but I, when he walked onto screen, I had a moment where I thought that he looked like um, Hoffman from the Saw movies. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, oh, is that Hoffman? Or not Hoffman. Um, yeah, Hoffman. I was like, oh, is that Hoffman? And then I stopped and was like, oh no, it's not. And then didn't do any further consideration into who he actually is. Yeah, I, you know, I immediately when I, Kind of looked up like what else does he be in? i always like oh, he looks so familiar again could have hit me with a shovel i would have been less surprised that it was the same guy see um, beards are contour man they change your face shape super weird <laughs> all right so i'm going to skip ahead on the uh, outline here a little bit and then come back to that bit but mm-hmm. what did you think of the use of urban legends in this movie i thought the first one did like a surprisingly good job integrating some in what did you think of this one I don't feel like this one was as interested in the urban legends bit as the first one. The first one, the deaths were super urban legendy. I think that this one, it threw in the kidney one because it was a really popular one. And it was, it reminded us that we're still watching an urban legends movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that they pulled back and made this much more meta. And now it was a movie about making movies about urban yeah. legends. So that was definitely sidelined. Like, I don't think... You know, there's no urban legend about, well, maybe there is, but there wasn't at the time urban legends about people dying on a movie set or whatever it is. So I don't think that it, I think that it did a good enough job, like, you know, sequels have to raise the stakes and change the story a little bit. And I think it did a good enough job of keeping the urban legends thing, but making it into a meta element um, that kind of is touched upon in the movies um, that they're making versus um, front and center. Yeah, I, I think the, the, they do the um, kidney one really well, but I've never heard one about people screaming at midnight on campus or the Tunnel of Terror. But I think to your point, this is... Oh, yeah, that reminded me of something. Yeah, go on. This is a movie about making movies. So what I like about it is it's not... The obvious go-to gag is people talk about horror movies. When like mm-hmm. you're in a horror movie, so we talk about making horror movies. Mm-hmm. And I think that would have been like really looked down upon in a film school. So the go-to references here are like Godard and Truffaut. Um, that's who, and I think that's going to go over a lot of the audience's head. But I think that it was like the filmmakers 
indulging themselves a little bit and i think the in jokes in this movie are probably less for the audience and more for like a very small subset of people that like attended film school as well as uh enjoyed this kind of movie yeah i think yes and no i agree with you on that point but i also think that um I mean, we're in a post-scream world where everybody's mm-hmm. meta, um, and that was the that was the bit for a while. It, excitingly enough, it also put us in the who's the killer slasher era, which I love. So mm-hmm. uh, no complaints on that. But um, the meta jokes. So yeah, of course, there's the meta bit that they're making movies in a movie. So you know, you can't. There's that whole thing. But the other piece of it, like the tunnel of terror, I was like. Oh, I just assumed it was a bloody about my bloody Valentine, my bloody mm-hmm. Valentine. Yeah, reference. Yep. Um, I never thought like I kind of read that into it. Obviously, you've got the Hitchcock stuff. There are references to snuff films, which was pretty trendy in scary movies at the time. Um, there were like I don't know. I feel like there were a lot of things like that that were a little bit more, a little bit larger. The scene in yeah. the um, where she, where uh, Jennifer where Amy is running and she runs into Reese and they're in that hallway that's kind of inexplicable i was like oh this is alien like to mm-hmm. me that was very alien oh very cool so it looked like the nostrama yeah i was like i just kind of felt that so yeah i agree there are a lot of very in jokes for film people but i do think there were like some broader things i mean you could argue that only film people would have known my bloody valentine but i do think that uh there are some like larger core horror mm-hmm. references. I mean, you start on an airplane in a world like, yeah, these movies all came out at the same time. So it's hard to know what reference the other, but you're starting on an airplane um, in a final destination world in a post the twilight zone world. Um, you've got, you know, the cut and people getting killed on a film set in a scream three world. So I do think it was like broadly grabbing onto other references it, it was but i think like a lot of the references the characters make specifically are yeah. more like in line with like what you would talk about like we're scream two when you have the classroom and they're talking about like sequels and you're kind of like i think a lot of these kids would have been tossed out of class for that like scene makes you know, me want to light my hair on fire i hate it, that yeah, scene so much it's, it's not great but I enjoy um, hating that scene. So I yeah. guess maybe. I mean, it's got Joshua Jackson being Joshua Jackson, which is usually a surefire way for me to not like a scene. I just <laughs> think a little bit of him goes a very long way. Oh, um, I like Joshua Jackson so much, but that's okay. Uh, I'm not offended. I hate that scene so much. Mm-hmm. And I know that it was, I know that it was probably some shooting error where the person editing it just didn't get it right and it slipped mm-hmm. past the goalie i know but randy getting the alien thing wrong will never not make me want to shriek <laughs> into space um i hate it so much and mm-hmm. it's so again like circling back because i can't help myself classic randy to be incorrect but well actually someone about alien yep. like of course classic randy meeks yeah. to be like actually she says and be wrong yeah it is you know <laughs> I, I just offended Randy Meeks and I, I can't again. I think I've exhausted my. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'll lawyer. stop. I'll nope, stop yelling okay. about Randy Meeks. I promise. Uh, I think the, the, be... no, it's okay. We can make it a recurring <laughs> segment this week yeah. in Randy this Meeks. It'll be like Randy two Meeks minutes hate. hate. Um, I think <laughs> yeah. the big, the big reference in here to like horror movies and classic cinema is Sandra's death where, and I think it's a really well done where they're sitting around watching Amy, the cut Amy's movie. And Sandra is just such a bad actress. It's she's so Mm. poor. Um, 
and I, I think that the sign of a good performer is when they can, when they're playing an actor, they can act poorly. I think that's 100% agree with you. Funny performance there. Um, But then it cuts to uh, homage to Peeping Tom, which is so good. It's really well done and really smart. And I think one of those references that not everyone is going to get, but you don't need to know the reference for that to work as a really creepy scene. Yeah, 100%. I love that collection of scenes with her because it's like, I think she does an excellent job in the opening. Mm-hmm. And then she like did like her opening acting is very much what you'd expect from the type of character that she's playing. And then uh, like in the movie world, I think she's doing a good job as well. And then as she's saying Mayday, it slowly descends into getting kind of terrible. And then they like cut and call her terrible. And I'm kind of, even in that moment, I was like, oh, I don't buy her as that she's a bad actress and anyone would think that. I think she did a great job, but it was the movie giving us a real good opening, like a really great, good opening, but then telling us that she's a bad actress and then using it, which I thought Mm -hmm. was so, so clever and so well done. And so seeing her be a bad actress when it's shot kind of poorly, which it was also kind of a funny joke about directors being responsible for their actors Mm -hmm. um, because it doesn't look very good. Like what they shot doesn't look good and they're blaming her acting, but it kind of wasn't only her acting. It was Um, a lot of things, right? Yeah. And then it cuts to that whole other scary movie that's familiar. Yes, it's Peeping Tom. We saw it used again in Black Christmas. We've seen POV, you know, it's become a thing since then. And it was this like really scary, they're watching a snuff film, but it's shot like a scary movie that's familiar. And that moment, yeah, it was so good. And she turns from being this like terrible actress to this great one. And like, Mm -hmm. what a great performance from this like comedic, like what a great performance from her. Right. And you have like a really comedic bit where you're too special effects mavens are like there's not enough blood in this death this is horrible like it should be way more blood like i think that was a really kind of like clever joke as well and other mm-hmm. set pieces in here i really like like i obviously there's the uh removal of the kidney scene mm-hmm. um which that is a in these movies like the urban legend movies aren't necessarily like super graphic slashers they are mm-hmm. more suspense thrillers but you do have this real it's not just a decapitation where her head is like severed from the broken window pane but mm-hmm. what really made me cringe because you've seen that like millions of times in a movie mm-hmm. what really made me cringe is when he grabs her by the incision and pulls her back in that yeah. made me like just get up off the couch and cringe i'm like oh that's a bit much i wrote the word gore in all caps in my like notes I tend to like I write like notes without looking like I don't Mm -hmm. look at my page I just like write stuff that like I think that I want to remember for later Mm -hmm. and I have like across like four lines just the word gore in all caps and it was from that moment where I was like ooh gore because it's not yeah it's not super over the top in terms of what it shows Mm -hmm. and I think to your point before when you said like being able to fill in the gaps on a lot of these movies is better Mm -hmm. than having it laid out for you yeah you just see him grab at it and it cuts away and you're like that just sounds agonizing like absolutely like i am kind of rubbing my face as we (laughs) do this like i gotta stop thinking about it yeah Um, that that moment it it hurts it absolutely hurts i thought the scene where she's being stalked inside of the school building was also very well done uh we had seen that a couple years before in scream 2 with dewey and gail 
Uh, yeah, literally exactly what I was about to say is it was the scream scene identical mm-hmm. and in a in a good way it was so cool like between the glass I was like oh this is that moment um and I had a lot of fun with that and then the the last thing would be the tunnel of terror the very cheesy amusement park ride that really has like no scare factor to it whatsoever and then mm-hmm. You know, I thought the lighting and again, like Amy, like not giving her crew any warning whatsoever. Uh, folks, by the way, there might be a stalker slash killer. Oh, yeah. By the and, way, you know, but don't worry, this guy, Trevor, that I met the other day who has warned me that he has problems with the law and isn't super trustworthy. He's okay. and no one knows about him. He's watching. So don't worry. <laughs> I do like the running motif of like her saying, please don't leave me, him promising her that he won't, and then disappearing. <laughs> and she keeps falling. And all it does is like drive her more and more yeah, into... She, she's, she's like, oh, but he's she's such a babe. Like, I was in love with your brother and <laughs> I just met you, but you look just like him. So I will so be I'm in love have, with you now. Yeah, I'm gonna have sex dreams where I think you might kill me. But it's yeah. also kind of fun because in the again that era of the who's the killer which is just one of my favorite i just love mm-hmm. the whole who's the killer thing um they always threw so many silly red herrings and this movie does that mm-hmm. right till the very end even yes. in the last meta scene it's a who's the killer moment yeah um it does it all the way through and it makes you think like did reese snap is it this creepy guy is it this new cinematographer or the new dp that we don't know and maybe it's the guy who you trusted this whole time which in a post Scream and Scream 2 world, Scream, it's the guy she trusts, even though she doesn't trust him for a lot of it, it's still her boyfriend mm-hmm. the whole time. And then in Scream 2, she starts to not trust her boyfriend because she doesn't want to make the same mistake again. So now you've got Final, or sorry, now you've got um, Urban Legend Final Cut where this guy isn't necessarily her boyfriend, but he has her love interest in a way. And it's like, does she trust this guy? Like, is he the red herring like in Scream 2? And it's just such a fun bit that the mm-hmm. whole time you just have no idea who it is. And there's so many red herrings that are like and messy red herrings. Like that was, blonde guy is such a messy red herring. I was um, so waiting for the reveal that like he, um, excuse me, that like he was not his twin brother. He was the actual was guy him the whole time. himself. It was him faking his whole death the whole time. Well, I couldn't decipher it. So the last, well, not the last scene, but the climax where you, the killer is revealed um, and they kind of figure it out. Um, so Trevor and Travis have different hair, which is their distinguishing factor. Mm-hmm. One goes upward and one goes downward. And in that moment, um, Trevor puts on Travis hair. And I was like, oh, is this like the plan to like trick him that like Travis was still alive so that he would be like, I killed you. <laughs> like, yep. And it works. It was like the try it does it does work. Like they trapped him with his like subtle hair change, which I thought was really funny. And props to, oh gosh, I'm the worst with actor names today, uh, or mostly always, but props to that actor for playing Travis and Trevor very differently. Mm-hmm. Um, what what do you think of the reveal of the killer in this movie? Um and his motive. Fine. The motive's not good. You touched on it in your synopsis. The motive is dumb. Um, I Well, I shouldn't say it's dumb. I don't think it's a great motive um, because he kills like 20 people because he's mad at one. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think it's a great motive. I don't think that the killer reveal is so great. I mean, it's definitely not as good as all of the scream twists, which I know some people you know would disagree about. But I think 
Um, for comparison, I know a lot of people don't like the Scream 3 twist ending. And without getting into that, I don't think that it changes what a fun movie it is. If you liked it or you didn't like it, I don't think it's going to be necessarily based on that twist reveal. I think a lot of the who's the killer scary movies, it's always someone that you didn't expect. And it's right. always some reason that you're like, okay, whatever. And it's just fun. Like it's never... I I don't know so I don't think the reveal was so good but I don't think that it took away from the movie for me at all like it was like okay sure it's this professor whatever it's a dumb reason he's got a very good life and he's mad about a vote you're like okay and the film does do a good job of like building up the Hitchcock award as being like the only thing that matters um yeah I don't know I was lukewarm on the reveal I didn't care I didn't care about that professor enough so for him to like show up at the ending and have his moment I was like I don't care about you at all but I didn't care I don't I don't think it mattered it didn't matter to me yeah, and I do like this era of movies where you don't know who the killer is until the last reel. I think mm-hmm. that's a lot of fun. Like all, all these slasher movies from this era, they are less concerned about creating like a new iconic killer. Like they're not out to make a new Jason Voorhees or a new Freddy Krueger. They're about standing on their own and like kind of having more of a mystery element to them. And I really enjoy that. And I do think that like, in the first urban legend, you have Rebecca Gayhart, who she so nails her Pamela Voorhees moment yeah. um, in what is uh, the highlight of the movie and just an absolute blast to watch and watch again, that it would be hard to top that. I think to the film's credit, they don't really try to top that here. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just like laid out like I am trying to frame you because your dad screwed me over 20 years ago. Um, yeah. And just to me, like, this is at the tail end of a, a period where in a couple years, like, all of the fun is going to get sucked out of horror movies for about five or six years. And you're going to have, like, these very grim, dark movies. It's like it's like Frank Miller rewrote basically every horror movie from 2002 to 2007. Um, you have, like, you're a year off from Blair Witch Project and... Um, the sixth sense kind of rewriting the rules of what people want to go see in horror movies american psycho comes out in 2000 um so like scream 3 and urban legend final cut almost seem like the last gasp of that except for one movie that we're going to talk about in a couple weeks here and we'll say which one it is shortly we'll save that for a bit what do you most remember about this this period in horror it was like it was it's funny because I always think that I got into horror really late like when you mm-hmm. asked me about my like horror origins and what got you into horror I definitely got into it young but I became like a super fan pretty late like I always liked it but it became like a huge part of my life later I don't know I don't want to say no time but definitely later than than I would probably give myself credit for but I just remember I said like you know I remember being in elementary school and going to my friend's cottage and we had like our parents video cameras and trying to come up with who's the killer short movies to make like in the woods because you know and we were like and maybe it's because they're competitive with each other and it was like Mm -hmm. you know and I'm not I've never been um a filmmaker but like those were the types of things that we did we always wanted to write stories about you know who's the killer and so yeah, I, I love that era. I could watch it all day, every day. I miss it. I love being able to like watch this, who's the killer thing. And I think the twists, it's fun the whole time to figure out who the killer is. But for instance, in Scream, what Scream does 
is by you're not trying to figure out the killer because you need to know why and the story of why they're the killers in the end is important because of the cotton weary element Mm -hmm. but it's not super super important that they're mad at Sid's mom it matters to the ultimate story um because it's part of it you know Sid's mom's death is really important and the whole she saw cotton weary at his house and she was you know whatever um let's say duplicitous or unfaithful whatever you want to say about her um so those things do matter but at the end of the day it's the the things that you're trying to figure out about who the killer is is who was where when and that's why scream so exciting is because when it, it turns out it was two killers you're like oh so when billy was in jail it actually was Stu, and like that's the math that you get to do it's who was where when and that's so again in scream two the you know billy's mom um the mrs loomis twist is fine I don't think it's so great, but it's cool because it's like, oh, this woman, huh? Where was she? And where was Timothy Oliphant at that time? And that's the kind of math that you're doing. Um, So again, I always think like as much as I think this twist compared to the era, I'm like, oh, it's not so good because there's so many better movies that came out Mm -hmm. about the same time. I really don't think it was that much worse. I think the the who's the killer is is so much more about physical um, ability than it is about... And it's because of this. Yeah, it's like the end of like every CSI or whatever procedural episode where they have this crazy confession as to why they did it. And it's like, okay, whatever. And overall, like I'm a big, I would call this like the Scooby-Doo era of horror. Yeah, I would have gotten away with it. The killer is unmasked at the end. And it's like, would have gotten away with it too if it weren't for you crazy kids. Um, Yeah, so true. And to me, like, I know that, like, I'm a little bit older, so I know a lot of persons that like horror around my age kind of deride this period a little bit. Mm. I think that they forget, like, there were some very nasty movies in this era. Like, they were not afraid to get gory. And it's right before digital effects and digital blood really start to become cheap to do and easy to produce so i think you still get a lot of great practical set pieces which i really love and appreciate but also like this period is responsible for sparking a love of horror in so many persons that i've either had on the show whose work i enjoy reading their writing or listen to their podcast um that like there's a lot of positive things to be said for this mm-hmm. time period. Like, I don't think you can under, I don't think you can't appreciate enough like how many people in their like late 20s or 30s now really grew to love horror movies based on movies they saw of this time period. So that to me is no bad thing. For sure. Like I, again, bad with years, but I just remember the same people, um, you know, it's the same people that I watched The Faculty with for the first time. And, you know, movies like that, I saw Scream 3 first because that's how it worked with how old I was. Mm-hmm. I was, I don't know, how, how old am I? Scream's 96. Mm-hmm. I was nine when Scream came out. I didn't see Scream when it came out. I saw Scream 3 in theaters with my like high school boyfriend in grade nine who I was like scared to sit beside. Like mm-hmm. that's, you know what I mean? Like that's, um, that's the era. And as much as I was like, oh, I wasn't super into horror, I was watching things like Scream 3 and Joyride and The Faculty mm-hmm. and 
you know, urban legend and final destination. And those are the types of scary movies that I was watching. And what a fun time that even if you weren't a quote unquote horror fan, you all went to the movies. Like, I don't know if everyone had this, the same experience as me, but in my high school, every Friday, all the high schools in the, in my town, I don't know, it's a city, but a town, all the high schools in the town, we all went to the movies every Friday and saw whatever the big yes. movie was. So like, yep. if you went where I grew up, if you went to the movies on Friday, if you were seeing the like new popular movie, it was filled with a hundred, like thousand high school students. And that's what we all did. And I never considered myself a horror fan for some reason, but like it was, it was Joyride and it was, it was movies like this. It was the final destination early months, like stuff like that. So like, what a warm thing that like looking back, like I rewatched this the other day and it was like, what, I feel so young. <laughs> yeah. This would have been, you know, I would have probably been like early, yeah, like early 20s when this hit, hit theaters. And I know mm -hmm. I missed this one, but pretty much anything that came out theatrically during this time period, like I was Friday night, we would get out of work, we would like go get a bite to eat. And then like 10 of us would go to a movie. Right. Together. Like that was our thing to do. It was like so much fun to go do that. It was such a fun period. And even like today, I remember one of the best movie theater going experiences I've had in years. There's a little theater that's around the corner from us they have like five screens it's like an old school theater you don't have the reclining seats or the fancy mm -hmm. menus and it's not assigned seating there's no need for assigned seating because there's only 10 people in the crowd for every movie <laughs> unless it's it chapter one on opening weekend and then it's packed with Whoa. kids from the high school and everyone is going like ape shit before the movie starts and then during the movie like are yelling at the right times and ooing and ahhing at the right times and no one's on their phones. It to this yeah. day remains one of the best like non festival experiences I've had in the past like five years. Best. And I'd be lying of like all the times, like now if there's like a group of like high school students in a movie, I'm like, Oh great. This movie's ruined. Read it. And, and that's why <laughs> during the pandemic, like a lot of the articles I read are like, Oh no, the movie going experience is going to go away. And I'm like, I don't know who you people are. But outside yeah. of like festivals and being able to go to like one of the repertoire theaters in Boston, mm -hmm. going to the movies is a lot of times if you go during prime hours, it's not good. Well, I mean, that's a whole, I mean, I love going to the movies. Mm -hmm. The idea of like movie theaters suffering right now, like hurts me right. all over. Like, I love it. Um, I think there's so many different movie going experiences like yeah sometimes are worse than others like I'm definitely that person sitting in the back of the room being like put your phone away and like because yes. it makes me bananas mm -hmm. but I mean yes festival experiences for sure but man I love it I love walking to the theater and seeing all my friends there and all of us going to see movies like even some of my best experiences are bad movies and mm -hmm. like you know a group of us went to see cats together what a great time that was That's and enough. Um, although, oh gosh, I won't even get into it. My cat's experience was not as, oh God, but, um, I don't know. Like there's so many times and like, what a fun thing to get your snacks and go. And I, like, I love the movie going experience. I love it for new movies. I love it for old movies. And I think there's something really, really different about going on opening night and seeing a movie, movie quietly. Um, mm -hmm. and then there's also something about like, um, specifically, like I'm very spoiled in Toronto. There are so many events every mm -hmm. year of like, there's drunken cinema, which is a lovely thing. I go to this 
one of my favorite events in the city is this thing called Drunk Feminist Films, where the whole idea is that you're on your phone tweeting, like it's old movies and you tweet and you yell and you scream and you cheer and there's drinking game rules the whole time. And the theater is packed and we're watching an old movie and yelling yep. at it. And like, there's just so many lovely experiences. See, that would be fun if you know that going in, like this. Oh yeah, it's, 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 it's an event. Like it's, you don't buy tickets to the movie. You're buying tickets to drunk feminist films. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And you're going to watch the first wives club with mm -hmm. people who know exactly what they're there for. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's just an absolute blast, but yeah. even like looking at this as much as I'm like, oh God, the high school students, but you know, this era going to see Joyride with my high school and my friends from other high schools. And if you did extracurricular activities, you had friends from other high schools and maybe you know her from camp or from dance or from karate or whatever things that you did and being packed in there and all of us screaming at the same time. Mm -hmm. Like what a blast. Like yeah. I, what an absolute blast seeing scary movie three or whatever with your like with just a million high school students like it was just so much fun so yeah probably not ideal for the person who came to see it yeah. quietly for themselves but I, I I remember like seeing falling down with a group of friends in high school and then coming mm -hmm. home and being like giddy about yeah. that movie like and how violent and messed up it was, oh, you know, and like sitting around like the dinner table at my house with like 10 friends talking about that movie. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, I'm someone that like, I, I'm probably part of the reason movie pass went out of business. Cause like that was, I had that for my first year of grad school and I mm -hmm. literally used it every day almost until they shut oh, the service down the AMC pass they did. Like I would routinely, you could do three movies in a week. I'm like, when my wife and daughter would go to bed, I'm like, I'm going to go see three movies right oh, now yeah. and come home at two in the morning. Um, where, yeah, where I am, like what <laughs> I am walking distance from two theaters. Mm -hmm. And when I say walking distance, I mean like stone's throw from two movie theaters where I that live. Sounds beautiful. Mm -hmm. And I will literally be like a Sunday. And one of those theaters plays like old movies and new movies. It'll be like a Sunday. I'm like, I wonder what's playing. And I'll just like pop over, like grab a latte and go. And just go. It's great, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. I so. um I really want to convince, like the, I hope the theater around the corner can make it. Um, because I really want to convince them to do a 24 hour horror marathon next October and allow me to program it. So oh. I, need, I need to do something with them. Guys, next support year. your indie theaters. A lot of them in um, specifically, I know a lot of the Toronto ones are selling concessions on delivery mm -hmm. apps and for pickup, do it. If you can buy an annual membership to a theater that you really like, that's independent, do it. Um, I'm really, yeah. Support your theaters as much so as you can. As, as much as I will like kind of crap on, the main the movie going experience like I spend a lot of time in movie theaters I do remember the, like going to see scary stories to tell in the dark and there were mm -hmm. like three boys and three girls on a date these high school kids and the oh. boys are definitely showing off before <laughs> the movie and I do remember getting up and walking over and going like gentlemen and they look at me I'm like we're not going to be doing this during the movie right like we're going to be putting a stop to this once the lights go down and they looked at me and I must have like scared them oh they so were like, so no, scared of you no sir you know I'm like great yeah I am not a scary apparently I've been told that when I'm angry I am very scary and I don't see it because again I'm like a short little round midget you're um, a teddy bear type, but you, I, I really mean, am. but you've, you've got stature, like, mm -hmm. you, know, you know, I don't know how tall you are. I haven't stood behind in real life, but yes. you have stature. I could, I mean, I would be scared of that. Thank you. So they <laughs> definitely worked. They were on their best behavior after that. So no worries. All right. I think, 
I think we can put Urban Legend 2 to bed. I think so too. I think this has been a really fun discussion. Really fun. And I think our listeners are want to know everything about you at this point, and they're going to hunt down your work. So Lindsay, where can our listeners read your stuff? What other shows, what shows have you guested on recently? When, when? This when comes this? out tomorrow. I have okay. to edit this this afternoon, so. <laughs> well, I am we guesting. We on... close here. We're a little tight. Um, so the best place to find where I collect all of my um, work is on Twitter. Um, and, you know, Twitter, you can find my link tree. I also have an Instagram. Guys, I want swipe up and I'm only uh, 9,900 followers away from 10K. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> so follow my Twitter and Instagram. Uh, it's at Smash Travis, S-M-A-S-H-T-R-A-V-E-S. Um, not uh, like our friend Travis from the movie. Um, I am a few different places. You'll hear me guesting on some pods too, uh, soon that I will, you know, definitely shout out, uh, on Twitter for you. Um, I will be here. I write a lot for CG magazine, comics and gaming magazine. Um, so you can find me on cgmagonline.com and cgmbacklot.com talking about movies, video games, and sometimes technology, uh, but not uh, very often because I'm not super savvy. Um, and uh, you can also listen to the Pixels and Ink podcast that I sometimes will pop in on and yell about movies over their video game discussions. Um, you can find my writing also on Pajiba, doing some film reviews there. Um, I've been a lot of your familiar places. Oh, I'm on whattowatch.com. Um, I have a column in Grimm Magazine, which you should definitely check out. It's a really awesome indie uh, publication that uh, is still in print, but you can get, you can purchase print magazines with the um, online one is for free. So you should totally check that out as well. Um, and yeah, find me, like I said, find me on Twitter and I will, uh, I will keep you posted on what else I'm writing. Excellent. Well, yeah. listeners, as you know, you can find my other podcasts, uh, psychoanalysis, a horror therapy podcast over on the consequence of sound uh, network. So in December we are doing uh, killer kids is our theme for mental Ooh. health. So we are covering two movies I adore. Uh, one of them, uh, we need to talk about Kevin, which I believe the first episode comes out this Thursday. And then also um, Better Watch Out, which is, a, oh. to me, a new holiday classic. Love that movie. And what a fucking weasel of a kid in I that movie. I would be excited to uh, hear that because... I feel like Better Watch Out did not do well when it came out. People didn't like it. And now I'm hearing a lot of people suddenly being like, you know what? I love that movie. Yeah, I I've the, heard a lot of people change their mind about it. Yeah. And I was talking about it this week as well. So I had the really pleasure amazing. of introducing that at Telluride Horror when it was one of our secret screenings that year. I think it was still Jingle All the Way then. Um, <sighs> and fell in love with that movie immediately. I just, yeah. So we're looking forward to that. And then we have our comfort horror episodes where we have um, The Hitcher this month with Mel mm -hmm. from The Losers Club. Uh, we have Gremlins, and I don't know who the guest is for Gremlins, so I apologize. And then Joe Lipset from The Horror Queers is going to be talking Black Christmas. This is comfort horror movie. Yeah, uh, and I think that Joe's comes out Christmas Day. <laughs> I'm excited because I've never had a conversation with him, so I'm really excited to like talk to him about that movie so because the show is wonderful um, it's gonna be great so here we have one more urban legend movie to co to cover urban legend bloody mary which is going to be a first time watch for me Same um, with me i'm very excited so bear with us but what i'm really excited about i said Lindsay, you're a co-host you get 
fair say and equal say in what we do here. And I really do mean that. It's a partnership. What do you want to do next? What are your, some of your ideas? What do we come up with? Guys, I am pleased. Are we? Am, am I saying this? This is my you moment can here? It. This is your moment. Oh my gosh. I am pleased, ecstatic, uh, all over, you name it, that we are covering next Final Destination. Yes. Um, long asked for on the show. Long <laughs> people have wanted us to do this for a long time now. I'm very excited. Uh, not only is it going to be a really, really fun conversation about really, really fun movies. Um, I've recently decided Final Destination 5 might be one of my favorite movies of all time. Who knows? Wow. Um, we'll get there. We'll get there. Five. Let's not skip ahead. Um, I'm really excited about it. We've already got a few guests slated that I think people are going to have a lot of fun with. We have already are. lined up a number of guests, like all of every movie we have guests for, and some are returning guests, some are first timers, and all of them are pretty awesome. They're all so, like, I'm very excited about what we have uh, coming. I'm yeah, I think you're going to love it. I think, and I said this to Lindsay off air, and I'll say it now, I think low key, this might be the best series of the first decade of two, the 2000s. Yeah, I know. Strong statement. It's strong and I like can't wait to chew on it and come back strong and talk statement. about it. Because I'm very so, uh, hyped. Yeah. I, I think we're going to really enjoy um, these five movies. And then we got to see what we're going to do after that. I still want to do French Extreme Horror for February. <gasps> it's a theme month. Okay. So is that a good... Okay. I think I'm not super familiar. So I feel like it could be a fun way to drag me kicking and screaming into it. Excellent. Excellent. Um, so yeah, I mean, I've got lots of ideas and lots of exciting things. I'm excited that we're doing Final Destination as we talk about kind of going back into fun horror versus heady horror. So um, I'm hyped that we get to go back into, I mean, again, we'll, I'll save it, but even though it's not a slasher, arguably Final Destination is a slasher franchise and I would say so. Yeah, we'll yeah. definitely talk a lot about that. A slasher without a killer. And it's, I think, their approach that if you ever reboot Elm Street, that's what they should do. But oh, that's neither here nor there. That's neither here nor there. Yeah, so we'll save it for the next five that I'm hyped about. Okay. So listeners, you know about our Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash pod and the pendulum. We're doing bonus episodes on there. I am going to try to add some other content this month as well. Maybe some short reviews or what to watch during Christmas season. Um, but uh, this afternoon, I actually just posted this. Uh, this BJ Coangel and I did a really fun breakdown of 1999's House on Haunted Hill. That is <gasps> up for great. Oh, she really is wonderful. And I can't wait to have her guest on this show again really fun discussion with her on a really fun horror movie you can access that for as little as two dollars over on our patreon we have tiers at two five and ten i'm kicking around the idea of like a fifty dollar level where you get to pick the franchise we do and maybe like guest on one of the shows as to why you picked it but I don't know if anyone would cough up 50 bucks for us. I don't know. Put you on. Let us, let us know. We'll let us know. Um, but yeah, please go to that. It, I, I will tell you that what your Patreon dollars do for me, it, it allows me to like host the show and like pay for the hosting of it. But also when we do movies like house and haunted Hill or the first urban legend, or when we eventually get to things like Texas chainsaw massacre, we buy like the better Blu-rays with all the supplemental material we buy the textbooks, we buy anything we can on these things in order to do 
really thorough research to bring you the best show possible. Um, I know money is tight and look, this show will always be free. Like we're not going to go to a paid level where you got to pay a buck an episode for a show. Like that's not cool. And I don't know who would do it anyway, but for like a couple bucks a month, like two, five or 10 bucks, you basically support this show as we approach a hundred episodes, you um, get us all the materials we need. And you know that like, it makes us feel like what we're doing out there is worth it. So please support us there. The other thing you can do that is free and takes two minutes of your time, wherever you get your podcasts, please rate us, review us, like write a few lines about why you love the show and subscribe to us. So it ends up in your feed every Monday morning. First thing right there for your commute. Um, follow us on Twitter at pod and pendulum. And I think that's it. Lindsay, this has been a blast cannot wait to have you on again next week and see where we go from here i'm very excited i had a very good time and i can't wait to keep on rolling i'm so excited about what we have coming up i'm so so excited um yeah about what's next i'm really excited to bring it all to everyone's earballs so let's hit it let's get it have a great week all